Hello imaginative people and welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tizard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. As ever, I am your reliably zany inspiration mystic, here to talk about creative writing, brainstorming story ideas, and how to take your imagination into new uncharted territory. And it seems my own imagination has been taken into new uncharted territory by some of you, my listeners. I've had some wonderful comments about the last show, episode 10 on the 20 minute magic, but also some ideas, fresh interpretations of what I thought was a pretty difficult exquisite corpse that came up on that show. There are some real eye openers among these, which have challenged my preconceptions when I do these story brainstorms. Really interesting stuff, but be warned, today it's getting extra specially bizarre. There are some really surreal ideas coming up in this show. So keep listening if you dare, if you are weird enough. Come with me with an open mind if you want to expand your imagination and the limitless possibilities for your writing. And if that doesn't max you out on zany ideas for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month, in the last section of the show, I'll be playing some fresh rounds of Exquisite Corpse. So have your pen and your newly expanded imagination at the ready. Cue the mandolin. dive straight into the amazing comments that have come in about the last show. Alessandro Bozzo, a regular listener, whose name you will recognise if you've listened to the show a few times before, as he is a frequent contributor of words to the Exquisite Corpse game, summed up episode 10 beautifully in a tweet. Brazen maggots, stompers, pompous dietitians and more await you in the 10th episode of Anna Tizard's Deeply Weird Brainstorium podcast, along with a beautiful short story by the fantastic Fraser Armitage. What more could one ask for? Have a listen. Hashtag socks and tea. Got to have that hashtag. I need to remember to use that hashtag more often. Well, thank you, Alessandro. And thank you for inspiring me to try my hand at podcasting in the first place. For it was Alessandro who first heard a short sample I once put up on the Play Exquisite Corpse page. And he, he said he thought I had a good voice and that I should try it out. So I have lots to thank you for. Fraser Armitage, who wrote the, the short story I read out in episode 10 called The Forgotten Melody, said, Anna read the story so beautifully. I wish I'd written a longer one so I could have listened to her reading more. Oh, that's lovely. He said it was a cracking episode. The Exquisite Corpse games were particularly brilliant. Um, I feel so privileged to be featured on the show and the tips and techniques for story writing you've shared across the episodes are so much fun to try out. I hope others give it a go because it was a blast to do. Thank you so much, Fraser. I'm so glad you enjoyed it and that you felt I did justice to your story. And of course, the episode was really made by your own short story. 
Joseph Clark is a new listener who tweeted, fun, funny and inspired, Google Plex Kudos, Anna. Well, thank you. I didn't know there was such a thing as Google Plex Kudos, but I'll take it. T. Schultz sent me a message and mentioned the visual art form of Exquisite Corpse, the drawing game version. He said, I actually play Exquisite Corpse by myself, drawing weird stuff on a page and folding it. I grab a few pens and go nuts, digging my old drawings out of a box wherever. I start another idea without seeing the previous doodle at all. Super fun to play with my artist friends, always a blast. Then he said about the podcast, yay for more inspiration and you've had really fun themes, seeing your subscribers do their thing. Thanks so much, T. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for getting in touch, T. Your art game sounds like a lot of fun to play. And if you're listening and you're not familiar with the drawing version of Exquisite Corpse that T's referring to, it's actually much better known than the original word game from which it was derived. I talk about this a little bit in some of the earlier shows on the history of Exquisite Corpse, but if you Google Exquisite Corpse, you're actually more likely to come across the drawing game because it became very popular soon after the word game was invented and it more or less overtook the word game in a way. Basically, one person draws a head, another person draws a torso, another one the legs, and with each go, each person just doesn't see what the other people have drawn because you, you cover up uh, the other goes. So you really don't know what kind of a bizarre creature you're adding to. It's a great game for parties. Thank you to everyone who sent comments on the show. It really makes it all worth it. Making this podcast and planning what's going to come up in the next show it's become another creative outlet to me, balanced with my writing and the day job, but it's so special to me when I get feedback like this because my ultimate ideal for this show is for it to be an interactive space where somewhere I can connect with other imagine imaginative minds and it seems to be working, which is just fantastic, so thank you. On that note, I'm going to move on to some of the new and bizarre interpretations I received of an exquisite corpse in the last show. Joseph Clark, who commented earlier, also sent me a separate message about the exquisite corpse that came up in episode 10, the brazen maggot saved from the stompers, the pompous dietitian. <laughs> This was one I, I did struggle with this one quite a bit. If, uh, if you've listened to the show, you'll know this. And it was very funny to try and solve the puzzle that was this bizarre sentence. Anyway, Joseph says, your recent maggot saves dietitian could relate to the dietitian's fear of food, which is represented by the stompers. Interesting idea to flip it around so that the dietitian is the one who has issues about food rather than being the genuine expert to give advice to another. And I was thinking as I read Joseph's uh, comments, 
but perhaps that's the root of the dietitian's pompousness. Joseph then says, the maggot teaches her how to really eat the good stuff of life. And I thought, okay, because maggots have no qualms about what they eat and are completely natural and impulsive in just letting their appetites go. Joseph went on to suggest that the stompers could be the bullies and abusers in terms of mental, physical violence or neglect causing mental illness. So a maggot comes along and makes the dietitian see stompers, so her fear of food, as ruiners of positive dreams, causing an eating disorder based on her fear. The magical maggot teaches her to see her positive dreams again and eat of the fun, good stuff of life to regain her happiness. This is all so different. I'm beginning to realise that I have a tendency to try and interpret exquisite corpse results very literally. I'm thinking, you know, who or what are the stompers? What's physically going on here? Whereas Joseph points out that you could approach these as metaphors, with the stompers being fear, and he talks about dreams of happiness coming back. I mean, yes, in any story, you need to have actual physical events going on, but who's to say you can't begin working on an idea from the point of view of the metaphysical or psychological journey of the characters? Start from what happens in the characters' inner worlds and emotions, and then build a story outwards from that point. Hmm. Now, Alessandro Bozzo, who I mentioned earlier, has been listening to the show with his two sons aged 12 and 9. Perhaps my youngest listeners, I don't know. They like to brainstorm story ideas together based on the Exquisite Corks game in the show, particularly Alessandro's nine-year-old son, Nicholas. Now, Nicholas was also drawn to the same Exquisite Corks, the brazen maggot saved from the stompers, the pompous dietitian. And his idea goes like this. The dietitian is a skinny grasshopper. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> who is a dietitian for insects. And the maggot, who is a bit overweight, goes for a consultation with this dietitian. The dietitian is pompous, insulting and condescending towards the maggot who reacts to this by becoming more and more brazen. While they're arguing, giant stompers try to squish them and the maggot ends up saving the dietitian after which the two become best of friends. The dietitian apologises and tells the maggot that he will help him eat more healthily but that he should be okay with his body type. In all of this, the reader will discover that the Stompers were really humans who were walking around, unaware that a maggot and a grasshopper were having a nutrition consultation literally right under their feet. This is so surreal. I love it. Thank you so much, Nicholas and Alessandro, for sending me your idea. It just highlights there are so many ways to interpret these exquisite corpses. 
And I have to confess, in light of Nicholas's idea, I think I've been speciesist in assuming that the dietitian is human. It seems so obvious now that he's said it. The stompers are the humans. The dietitian is another kind of creature that needs to be saved from those humans. Now this would make, on the surface of it, this would make a really good story for children. Like really good. Um, I'm not a children's writer, but I do sometimes read middle grade fiction from time to time because it's just so vivid. And nowadays there's so much out there for children that is beautifully written. I will have to do a show one day on this because I think we're living in a golden age of children's fiction, partly because it's so competitive nowadays. And there's a lot we can learn from it, even if we're not consciously writing for children. But coming back to Nicholas's idea, I think this could also work as an adult story as well. If you, well, especially if you approach it in a certain way, I'm thinking, what if you wrote the beginning of this story as if the two main characters, the maggot and the dietitian, were human? You don't give away the fact that they are other creatures. You just leave out any physical descriptions of them, except perhaps the way they're sitting, their facial expressions. Let's just imagine that creepy crawlies have facial expressions. Just go with me on this. Leave out any defining details like mention of legs or arms or hands. You just focus on the conversation between the two characters. So the reader is tricked into thinking that they're just two people in a room in a consultation about nutrition. And these characters keep getting interrupted by very loud noises upstairs. Or perhaps it seems like there's something or, or someone on the roof. Every time the maggot, who we don't yet know is a maggot, it's just a guy who's come to this appointment for help. Every time the patient asks the dietitian, what is that awful racket? She just brushes it off as Oh, they're having some works done on the roof, nothing to worry about. But then the patient keeps noticing that this dietitian keeps throwing worried glances at the ceiling. Um, and at one point she goes and opens the window to have a look outside. So something, something unusual is going on, but we just don't yet understand what's, what it is. Anyway, there'll come a crunch point. <laughs> and maybe that will be a literal crunch point as there's a terrible noise in the adjoining room. They dash out to discover that the room next door to them has been crushed by a giant foot. Except as the descriptions in the narrative are beginning to sort of come out now, so it's not necessarily a room in a normal building, it's more of a hole or a burrow, there's, you know, there's mud and things like that. It's something underground. It becomes clear to the reader that these two characters, patient and dietitian, are not human. And in fact, the humans are the stompers 
trampling on this mound of earth where creepy crawlies are trying to administer or receive medical advice. <laughs> I almost want to write it just for the surreal twist to see how long I can get away with describing the characters and the conversation and the story without letting on the nature of where they are and what they are until right before the very end when the building, the burrow, starts collapsing under a giant foot and suddenly we realise this is a maggot and a grasshopper and they have to, one has to save the other, they have to save each other from the clumsy humans above them. <laughs> oh well. That's a good one. I, the only problem is, is you've heard, you've heard what the story's about, so I won't be able to trick you. The moment I put out a short story about, you know, a, a, someone having an appointment with a dietitian, you're gonna know, oh, this is the one where it's actually a maggot and a grasshopper. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll write it and release it in, in the, in the distant future. So you'll forget all about it. And then you'll be surprised by the crazy twist that happens. <laughs> anyway, now it's nearly time to play some new rounds of Exquisite Corpse and see where our imaginations take us. Feel free to pause the show whenever I've read out a complete Exquisite Corpse result and have a go at brainstorming it yourself. Or just jot down those sentences as they arrive and have a think about it afterwards. Maybe go for a walk or have a little daydream and see if you can come up with any other ideas. Get in touch with me at anatizard.com, click contact at the bottom of the page or drop me a comment in the comments box on the Brainstorium page. Let me know what you come up with and I may feature it on the show. And if you try a 20 minute writing exercise, or however long you fancy, I'd love to hear from you. If you do write a short story, preferably up to or around a thousand words, could be a bit more, consider sharing it with me because you never know, yours might be the next one I read out on the show. I just know there are some stories out there waiting to be written. I can feel it. So give it a go. Now, it is time to bring out the Socks of Destiny. Right then, here goes nothing. First word, the describing word, is from Paul Thomas and it is aggressive. Okay, something or someone is aggressive. Let's grab a noun, see what it was. Oops. This is from Jen Moo Cat and it is centaur. So we have an aggressive centaur. What did they do? So the action word, this is from me. Peered through binoculars at. 
case we've got um, <laughs> an aggressive centaur who's spying on someone with a pair of binoculars. I wasn't sure that these creatures would really need um, assistance with their visuals. I don't know, I just thought their magical beings would be able to see for miles. But um, not spending any time in, in front of a computer. Right, so next word from Fraser Armitage is gullible. Ooh, so they're spying on someone who's gullible. Right, who is this person or creature that is gullible? We have from, if I can get it out properly, Alessandro Bozzo, acrobat. <laughs> right, okay. So the aggressive centaur peered through binoculars at the gullible acrobat. I think I'll pour green tea right now, actually. Um, I think we need to make a start on this right now. Get a bit of a stir. Right, let's see if that helps. Now, why would a centaur feel aggressive towards an acrobat? And why would they spy on an acrobat? Curiosity? Not just curiosity. I feel like because of the aggressive part, we have to imagine, and the fact that they're using binoculars, um, <laughs> It's just so strange that a magical being would use a human-made gadget for enhancing the senses when surely it has enhanced senses already. It lives very close to nature. I imagine this centaur can see very far into the distance. Um, but he holds a grudge against an acrobat. Is it because the acrobat is gullible? Someone with that level of physical skill and finesse, um, balancing on things, performing fantastic feats. I can't imagine them being gullible, but maybe they're not gullible about their job, their rather extreme occupation. They're gullible about something else. And I think the clue has got to be what it is the centaur is spying on them about like about or what the reason is for the spying i imagine the centaur in the woods with this pair of binoculars um peering at this circus in the distance and able to see um the this acrobat perhaps practicing her moves before uh, an evening show something like that I wonder if they're theatre glasses. Um, the centre was found discarded on a nearby field um, as a result of, of this big circus that's been drawing crowds, crowds that drop things. Um, why is he so suspicious of this acrobat? He's never seen a human move like that before. 
bend like that before. Jump and swing and it's as if she can fly and he finds this highly suspicious for a non-magical being. So he watches her and wonders if she's stolen some kind of magic. He thinks that she's stolen magic from the fairies or some other forest folk that are involved in natural magic. He suspects her as a magic thief. That could work. I mean, it's quite a, a literal translation of the story. These are very physical um, and clear, you know, easy to imagine quite clearly. Um, people, objects, creatures, this could work. But let's, perhaps it's time to move on to the next one. Let's find a new describing word, new situation. So this is from Tammy Newbert, Fluffy. <laughs> okay, just need a word like murderer to come up, don't we? After this, the Fluffy Murderer. Could be interesting. This is from Paul Thomas, Queen, a Fluffy Queen. Okay, that's a think about how a clean, um, clean, how a queen might be fluffy. Is it what she's wearing? Is it something to do with her hair? Or is it because she's actually an animal? <laughs> okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Paul Thomas has written, was in awe of. Right. Again, this is an um, interesting theme cropping up about one one creature or person watching another with a particular kind of intent. Interesting. So this is from Twitter ID Edge O'Erin One. Determined. Hmm. Who or what was determined? We have from Mariah Heart that's interesting just throw in an abstract noun why don't we okay so the fluffy queen was in awe of the determined heart hmm I think I'll just pour some more tea for this one and see what what I think Okay, the first thing that springs to mind has got to be one of those traditional fairy tales where um, someone is set uh, a task or they've got to pass three, um, three challenges uh, or they have to go on a quest on behalf of someone in royalty, sometimes for the hand of, of uh, the princess in marriage it always feel, feels very traditional uh, storytelling in my mind because who else would have a determined heart um, in front of a queen? That's immediately what, what my mind would jump to. But I don't know, that feels a little bit obvious to me. I think we've, we've got to 
think beyond the obvious with exquisite corpse and that's for me that's kind of part of of uh, the challenge of it and the fun of it as well to come up with something completely unusual and never imagined before why a determined heart what makes a determined heart shall we think literally about this and imagine that for some reason she is watching witnessing um, surgery taking place um, heart surgery and she's in awe of um, what's happening in front of her eyes where um, a, a physical a part of, of a human's body is keeping going and staying alive in spite of being cut into um, operated on maybe having gone through sickness who is the patient to this queen and and why has she been brought in to, to witness this surgery um, is a bizarre interesting question for the story if you're going to take it down that road but there'll be other ways of imagining a determined heart it could it could just be a person as we I suppose in a way we started off with with this uh, royal quest um, of someone who's just really determined to um, fulfill a role keep going doing something um, in the face of adversity I'm now feeling drawn back to the word fluffy <laughs> I feel like I need to address this adjective what does it mean why is this queen fluffy and for some reason I'm now imagining um, a little dog let's not be speciesist I don't know much about dogs but but a yappy type dog um, a small fluffy dog that um, is used to being pampered quite a lot maybe has a little collar with diamonds on it so it's been made to feel like a queen maybe its owner calls it queen or queenie and this is actually combining in my mind with the surgery scene and I'm imagining a dog in surgery in heart surgery having an out-of-body experience um, while it has its heart operated on maybe that's too bizarre for me to write um, I don't really know enough dogs to understand what it would be like uh, in their in their own minds to uh, witness such a thing or whether they're capable of having out-of-body experiences if you have a dog maybe you have an opinion on this do they have dreams do they have out-of-body experiences interesting question um yeah I've just I've got a little bit stuck on this one but that's kind of where I've I'm going with this because I I'm resisting I'm resisting the temptation to follow um, this very traditional route of oh there's a quest that's been set by a queen and this person has to be really determined in um, in fulfilling that quest We'll we'll see I mean that might be something if if you're more into traditional tales that might be something that sparks you sparks you off into um, a brainstorm about how you might write this so go for it if that's something that you would find inspiring 
give it a go, give it 20 minutes perhaps. I wonder if for a more gruesome version, you could follow through with this traditional tale um, by the challenge being to find and bring this queen a determined heart. A literal heart torn from the chest. Mmm, perhaps one for the horror writers out there. <laughs> right, got to do, got to do another one. Make it a good one. So, first describing word is from Mariah. Long-haired. Interesting, because we've just had fluffy. So, long-haired. This is from Alessandro Bozzo, and it is <laughs> three-toed sloth. <laughs> okay, not just any sloth. <laughs> Actually, I have no idea if sloths are normally three-toed, but that just shows my ignorance. Okay, a long-haired three-toed sloth. What happens to this creature? This is from Travis and <laughs> it is <laughs> made a charitable donation to. <laughs> okay. Okay, now we're entering the wacky zone. Come on. <laughs> God. Right, what's next? Fraser Armitage, frantic. <laughs> oh God. Okay, I feel like this story hangs on what this final noun is going to be. Who did the long-haired three-toed sloth make a charitable donation to? <laughs> okay, so this is from um, Squid Micro, which is a Twitter ID veteran that actually works <laughs> as far as charitable causes goes oh my goodness i can't believe that <laughs> such is the serendipity okay <laughs> goodness me right the long-haired three-toed sloth made a charitable donation to the frantic veteran. Whenever I hear veteran, I always think war veteran, but actually taking a moment, it's, it's a person isn't necessarily a war veteran. Um, they're just someone who's had long experience in a particular field. So we could be creative with that. Um, and anyone who's been working for a long time in a particular field, um, as long as it's for, you know, a, a higher cause or, or something that others believe in too, then yes, that it could become something that people or three-toed sloths uh, might choose to make a charitable donation to. Um, the idea of a sloth making a donation I immediately thinking of um, the issues that a three-toed creature uh, would have making bank transactions. 
But if an actual sloth was able to make a charitable donation to someone, I would have thought it would be um, zookeeper or conservationist, maybe, something like that. Um, but we may have to be creative with what um, this sloth actually is to make this exquisite corpse make sense, force it to make sense, which is what our job is right now. Okay, so this is when um, we have to try and cast the net a little bit further. So could the long-haired three-toed sloth be a name for a rock band? A shop full of quirky t-shirts and key fobs and things like that. A cafe or a bar or a nightclub. I'm just going to the long-haired three-toed sloth tonight. <laughs> Seems a little bit... It's a little bit unlikely, but work with me on this. Um, let's see. Or if you're a member of the three-toed sloth, whatever that is, say if it was a nightclub and you happen to have long hair, would you call yourself a three-toed sloth because you go to this place? Ooh, stretching things a bit, but I think, I think it's needed because how else... Are we going to make this charitable donation possible? And the frantic veteran, what's frantic about them? Now I have this image because we moved into um, a nightclub territory. Frantic dancing. And yes, why not go for a war veteran? A war veteran goes in to a nightclub. Maybe it's a dare. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's them trying to recapture their youth uh, on a crazy night out, it's their birthday or something like that. I know, let's go where my nephew goes, which is to the three-toed sloth. And he dances frantically, uh, everyone gathers round, watches him, and then a long-haired person who owns the place and considers himself to be the long-haired three-toed sloth, because hey, it's, it's his club. Um, he decides to make a charitable donation to this veteran. Hmm. It's, I've kind of, this is a way of making it possible, but my storytelling brain is also telling me that there's no sense of conflict here and every story needs conflict at its heart in order to function. If it's just a fun thing happening, well, that's fair enough, but it's not really a story. And to intrigue a reader, or even intrigue myself as I'm trying to tell you something, as I'm trying to brainstorm this, there needs to be a secret to be revealed or something that's not quite right um, that perhaps needs to get even worse before there can be a twist or, or something else to make things, to, to, you know, to bring things to rights again. I wonder what that would be. And it would be something to do with the idea of why a donation is needed or the reason that he's frantic. Hmm. Perhaps the donation is unwelcome. 
Who is this long-haired character who calls himself the three-toed sloth or who owns this nightclub? I wonder if he's a shady character or if there's some kind of payback involved in this so-called donation. I mean, that might be a way to sneak money um, to someone for, well, who knows what reasons. Could be drug dealing, could be, could be anything really. So this exquisite corpse seems to have a very fun exterior, but actually there might be a really dark secret at its heart. Hmm. Perhaps a good starting point if you were going to try and um, brainstorm this properly or, you know, try writing a draft for 20 minutes. Perhaps a good place to start would be with the, this image of a frantic veteran, whatever they may be a veteran of, just dancing like crazy or just entering an establishment, whether it's a nightclub or, or what it is, with this kind of underlying frantic energy. What is it they're anxious about? Mm, and what's at the heart of this so-called charitable donation? Gosh, they were quite difficult this time round. I wasn't expecting to really have to squeeze my brain like that. Um, but yeah, I hope you have fun with brainstorming these or writing a draft if that's what you're thinking of doing. Don't forget, I'm making this podcast more about you at the moment and seeing who else uh, might be able to write a short story, perhaps around or up to about a thousand words, something like that. Um, let me know if you've written anything based on any of the exquisite corpses. Get in touch with me at anatizard.com. I'd love to hear from you. Or if you just want to share with me some other ideas that you've had about one of these exquisite corpses, so not necessarily writing a whole story about it, still tell me. I'd love to hear uh, your interpretations. It doesn't just have to be me with the microphone uh, squeezing my brain in the corner. Anyway, until next time, stay well, go forth and be inspired.